This is a real-world cryptographer's podcast, where we capture the history of the field via stories. All right, today on the episode, very happy to have Ivan Damgard. Uh, he's a professor at uh, Computer Science of University of Aarhus. He works in cryptography, data security, discrete math, quantum informatics, and many other topics. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. We also have uh, Tal Rabin today with us. Uh, she's joining us uh, in the episode. Tal, welcome back. Hi, glad to be here again. Uh, Ivan, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started working in the field? Yeah, well, so so I started um, at Aarhus University, where I also am now. And, and uh, there I studied computer science and math uh, in my bachelor. I ended up doing, doing this pure math um, for my master thesis that was representation theory of finite groups. And, and um, uh, also I did a minor in music at some point. Uh, but then, then uh, with my previous supervisor, I, I, I uh, you know, started a PhD study. Uh, and well, my, my supervisor had found out that, you know, doing a PhD in pure math, that, that was going to be too, too difficult to get funding for that. Has to do to go to some border areas and stuff. So we ended up doing uh, having a plan for doing coding theory and cryptography, um, and well, it ended up being no coding theory and only cryptography. So in fact, uh, this shift that you have made, you really were one of I think the first um, uh, cryptographers in Denmark if not the first, and definitely one of the first in Europe even. There are a few uh, sprinkles oh. here and there. So what can you say about that, about that experience of sort of being a, a trailblazer? Well, so so it, it's probably worth mentioning that that, that my, my supervisor, Peter Landrock, if anyone was the first cryptography in Denmark, it would probably be him in some sense at least. Uh, he was also the president of the IACR at some point. Uh, actually, so so maybe I was the second or something. I, depending on on how you count, I guess. Um, but 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 the shift there to maybe that's also interesting to tell. So um, in, at some point we found out that there was this cryptography course being held in CWI Amsterdam. Uh, this was where David Chan was running uh, the cryptography group there. And he organized this thing, um, which was a course for you know both people in practice and, and people in, in academia. And I went there. Um, and and that was really the place where I got completely sold on cryptography. Uh, it was a very interesting event because you have to remember that this, this was back in maybe 1986 or something. Um, and this was a time where it was actually possible to gather together everyone who was anyone in cryptography. So, you know, um, uh, Rivest was there, Safi uh, Goldfass, Sylvia Macali, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and of course, I had no idea what, what half of these people were talking about when they were teaching, but I, I knew enough to, to figure out this was terribly fascinating. And I, I went home and, and saying, forget coding theory, I'm going to do crypto. Uh, so, you know, it, it was not um, in any way sort of, um, let's say, I didn't find it strange to be one out of only a few people doing crypto because um, I, I went in, in the first place, I went to Amsterdam. Again, to, to to actually do research and 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 learn some more, and that there were some people there, not only the challenge group, but also other people that came to visit. So you know, I I was in this this environment, uh, this, this this bubble uh, where where interesting things were going on. So I don't think any of us had any idea that that we were sort of the first at the time. 
I mean, we we kind of found out later on, but 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 this was this was um, you know from a different point of view. So you mentioned you also um, did a minor in music, right? And um, yes, noticed that you, you also play uh, fiddle and guitar. Um, mm-hmm. Do you continue playing? And um, kind of how do you split your time between music and cryptography? I have actually. Um, I've been playing sort of semi-professionally uh, in, in the folk genre. Uh, you know, uh, ever since I started uh, my studies in Aarhus, and I, I continue to do this um, on and off uh, all through the years. It, it's been sort of integral part of my life. It, it, it's something that, you know, uh, I can't help doing it. So do you feel like it helps you in research? Uh, do you ever solve problems while playing or come up with problems? Not while playing. Uh, that, that requires too much concentration on, on, on exactly what you're doing there. I, I find that that um, on the other hand, I solve problems on my bike home from work, for instance, or in the shower, or just before falling asleep. You know, I, I think it, it's, it's stories I've heard from from other people as well that, that that when your brain doesn't have to do something particular, when when you're sort of you know running, um, sort of without concentrating too much, that sometimes that this actually helps you come up with stuff that that you know uh, you you couldn't come up with if you if if kind of you try too hard. Um, you had said that during that visit to CWI, you got sold on cryptography. Was there something specific that was sort of an aha moment or was it just everything that was going on? Uh, I think it was more everything that was going on. I, I, I don't recall any particular, you know, aha moment. that It, it was in that, you know, few number of seconds that I got sold. It, it, it was the whole event. That, that, that there was so much interesting stuff going on there. And I, there was also this, this um, you know, feeling of, um, I guess this is more in hindsight, but still, uh, there was this, this, this feeling uh, in the crowd of, of something new that was starting, something that, you know, it was, it was sort of, um, uh, yeah, the dawn of an era or something. I don't know what, what to call it. I mean, I, I, we wouldn't have said so, I guess, if, if you had asked us back then, but, but I can see... That, that sort of the, 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 the atmosphere in the room was like this, when, when I think back on that. So do you think that the magnitude of what this area would um, come to be was evident at that time? Or it was, as you said, just a new thing, but the magnitude really developed over time? Yeah, I don't think, I, I think I was probably too young to think too much about the global magnitude of this thing. I just thought it was damn interesting, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and, and that, that was that. There's a whole lot of things that, that fascinated me about about those questions. Um, I think maybe particularly that this that, that that's what I've always said afterwards. Also, when people say what ask me what what is so great about crypto, what's, what's so great about doing crypto, I, I think that at least a big part of it is that it's full of problems. That when you see it the first time, you think, no, that cannot be done, no way. And then you think more about it, and you figure out, no, maybe it can be done after all. And, 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 and crypto is, has more of those things than, than any other field I can think of. So over the years, you worked on many topics, but uh, one of the topics, um, you know, in particular, you're known for is uh, multi-party computation and various mm-hmm. protocols around that. Um, why do you find that area exciting to work on? Well, I guess, I don't know. It, it's, um, um, at least I, I can't say that I sort of looked at a whole bunch of topics and said, okay, that's the one I want. Uh, it was more pers- kind of a, you know, case of being at the right place at the right time. Um, 
and and then finding finding a topic that turns out to fit you know what what works well for you um i was in amsterdam the, the second time i went there to to do research not to, not to be uh, uh in the course um i met a, a guy called jeroen van der raaf um who uh, is, is still a cryptographer actually but now in brazil um and 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 he had this great idea um that that he was trying to turn uh, a known uh, serial knowledge proof, uh, general serial knowledge proof for, for, for NP into a two-party computation protocol, um, and 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 sort of uh, I I got completely sold on that idea, and 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 then we we worked back and forth, and actually came up with with a solution, um, uh, and at the time we had no idea, in fact, that the same thing. Had had pretty much been done independently in the states by by uh, by by, by Silvio and, and and the other guys, um, so we ended up being published at, at Crypto eighty seven I think uh, that that was this this um, yeah um, uh, paper by myself Jim challenge on 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 this this circuit scrambling approach to to uh, to multi party computation, um, and and uh, that that was a truly fascinating uh, you know thing to work on because. Because I mean, we sort of didn't know what what we were building, you know, before we built it. <laughs> it's it's it was very different from 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 these days where you you know you 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 take what's out there. There's a whole bunch of protocols. Normally, try to improve what is there, and you you start from some design pattern. And we we were just you know uh, trying stuff and 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 sort of um, uh, just. Uh, you know, kind of randomly trying stuff until we found something that worked. I'm actually quite curious about how was research communicated back uh, in those days, right? So you mentioned like you came up with a result and then you didn't know the similar result, um, you know, appeared uh, by Silvio and others. Um, so did you have to wait until a conference to find out all the results that happened over the last year or was there any other process? Even you see, that's the problem of being interviewing by interviewed by a young person. Back <laughs> then, it sounds like we were in the dark ages. <laughs> well, we we in, in some in some respects we were right because there was no eprint, for instance. Um, so so if, if there had been, we would have known, I'm sure. But 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 there was not, and and so um, you know, on, on, until until the, that that other result came out in in, in Fox or Star or whatever it was. We had no idea what was going on. Uh, also, because of course, um, in, uh, the research community was not quite as connected back then as it is today, um, for lots of reasons. And, and uh, it was actually completely possible to sort of, you know, uh, be in your own bubble for for for, for a, f- a few months, and, and only later on find out that other people had been doing a similar thing. Do you think that it was different, um, for example, being at Europe in that time versus being in the U.S. due to these reasons? I think it was to a large extent because uh, at at that time, um, for instance, it was clearly the American community that that, that was the largest and the most connected. Um, And crypto was an established conference. Um, And and I think at the time, Eurocrypt was, was a much newer event, for instance, and, and and was seen as being a, a more a second tier conference at the time. Uh, you have to remember here that, that the community was so much smaller, so the amount of stuff that was produced uh, was was therefore of course also much smaller. And 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 you know, um, uh, Eurocrypt of course grew 
to to much larger size later on, and it, 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 today the same sort of conference, of course, as crypto is. But this was not the case back then. So so um, so therefore, um, I think I think the European community at the time was much more fragmented. Uh, there were people doing sort of uh, symmetric key stuff and, and, and bit fiddling block ciphers, whatever. Uh, there were people doing the stuff we did. And and um, I think this kind of thing, you know, public key and multiply computation protocols, um, I think those of us that did that in Amsterdam back then, I think we were the only people in Europe doing that at the time. On the multi-party computation, you know, the topic has been around for you know, many decades by now, right? Used in uh, um, various theoretical constructions, but not as much in the real world yet, right? That's still uh, kind of a, a new primitive um, that didn't find kind of the right applications, perhaps, or maybe scalability mm, is not there. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, what are your thoughts around that? Like, do you find that? Um, how do you feel about it? Well, I don't quite agree with you. Um, I think there are quite a lot of applications out there. Um, of course, I mean, I, I have to say this because, uh, I mean, me, me and my team, we, we did the first industrial application of, of, of the thing uh, back in 2008-9, uh, which was this, this famous sugar beet auction that, that people usually cite. Uh, mm-hmm. th- this was only the first step, and there, there's been quite a lot of things happening. Um, for instance, I can tell you that, that um, the spin-off company we started back then, uh, Particia, um, has been doing a project um with some public support recently, uh, together with, among others, the Danish Statistical Agency. That there's an agency in Denmark that that collects statistics on all kinds of things in Denmark, citizens, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea is that you can uh, you you make a network of machines that can um, draw from from their registers, but also from other public registers to get you know statistics statistics out for research, for instance. Um, this sort of thing using multi-body computation tools. Um, so that I mean that works. It it, it it's been around for for uh, for a year or so, um, and there's been many other similar applications coming up. I certainly understand that there are applications, right, and use cases, and you can find them in the real world. But if you look at kind of um, let's say in total overall, less than ten percent of the data is just encrypted in regular world, and I would imagine NPC is then applied and perhaps less than 1%, certainly, of the data, and certainly many more applications that could have been applied for, but not yet for various reasons. Um, I guess it hasn't scaled yet to its potential. Maybe that's what I was trying to say. And, um, or do you disagree with that? No, no, I, I think that that's completely true. Uh, and I think that the... the but I think the, the difference it, it, to from between now and, and, let's say, 10 years ago, maybe, or something, is that... Uh, now we actually know that that this thing can work on 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 the, you know real size data at least to some extent it, it, that that that's been proven in practice so now the the problem is not so much that the technology is, is is not quite there yet it's more a problem of having more people understand what it can do for them and and this 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 is not easy task right because um if if you think back so you know if if you go back to let's say the 80s uh, and digital signatures was a new thing, and that was at the time. This was a technology from outer space. Nobody knew what this what this thing was and what, how how it worked at all. Um, and now, I mean, today even the Danish science minister will talk about digital signatures if it's, if it, as if it's something everybody knows what it is. And, and believe me, he, he's no technical genius at all. So, you know, it's uh, 
it's uh, definitely a, a big a big uh, journey in people's minds that this permissive has taken. But that took 20 years at least. And, and multi-party commutation is a, more compli- is, a, is a much more complicated beast. So, so it, it's an even longer journey to, to have people understand what this actually is uh, and what it can do for you. I think, I think to a large extent, we're actually getting there. Um, uh, for instance, I was, um, I was talking to um, three administrators from my university uh, two two guys with with um, uh, with an education in, in in law, and one technical IC guy, who had figured out that they had some problems with with administrating data securely, and had figured out that maybe multi-party computation can help us here. And and I, I was quite surprised that these guys with with their backgrounds actually figured out uh, from what they could find on the, on the net that, that that maybe this this technology would, would 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 suit them somehow. Which in fact we found it did. It's not clear that it will scale well enough for them, and we, we don't know enough about you know whether it's actually going to fly. But I think just 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 the, the mental experience of, of having people come to me, and I don't have to explain them that you know the uh, the multi-party conversation can solve their problem. They already know that maybe this can help. I agree with your point completely about MPC suddenly becoming a household name. Um, do you think that the uh, blockchain is something that contributed to this um, becoming more popular? I think it has definitely, uh, because at least in, in the blockchain community, it's now become, uh, so zero knowledge has become a household name for sure. Um, and I had, had, had quite a fun experience. Uh, I, I was talking to, so one of these spin-off companies, we found it also decent blockchain uh, technology or, or starting to do so. And, and I, w- I was therefore talking to, to one of the guys who, who were trying to sort of set up a website to, to tell people about the, the, this interesting new project, uh, which would also involve NPC. Um, and so, so he, he tells me, well, maybe we should call it zero knowledge computation instead of multi-party computation. I thought, why? That's why? That's not what we usually call it. Well, because everybody knows what zero knowledge is. So therefore, it's probably better to call it zero knowledge computation. And, you know, I would never have thought that I would hear a guy with this background say that zero knowledge is, is something everybody knows what is, but but apparently that that is the case in at least in, in in parts of the blockchain community. Uh, so I think that that has you know also opened the door uh, mentally for people to think about other things as well, including NPC. A couple of years ago, or um, there was a paper that you wrote on um, kind of your opinion stating about the use of proofs in cryptography. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of uh, discussions in the field back and forth about how yeah. useful are the proofs in cryptography or should we write them at all? Do they have any practical meaning and so on and so forth? Um, could you summarize the discussion at the time and uh, kind of what your manuscript was about? Well, I think that there was, yeah, that there's a lot of discussions and it, it's sort of, uh, yeah, it, it shouldn't be too, too long a speech about this, I guess, because... Um, Describing the entire you know landscape back then is going to be uh, quite a task, but but I think the the point was that some people thought that uh, so for one thing lots of mistakes were found in in in, in proofs, and for mm-hmm. another thing uh, they felt that um, uh, some constructions that they have that they came up with themselves that did not have proofs. You know, in terms of you know, if you can break this, then you can solve this famous open problem. Uh, some some structures they had of, of this type that that you know seemed secure, but there was no proof. 
um, that they were being criticized very heavily by, by some parts of the community for suggesting this without proofs. Uh, and, and, and so, so uh, some of these people got annoyed and, and, and tried to strike back, I guess, by, by sort of saying, why do we make proofs anyway? There, there's always mistakes in them. And, 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 and why do they have any value? Because these instructions are, you know, much too complicated, too inefficient. Uh, they don't really, you know, connect to real life. Um, people introduce all kinds of, of weird bells and whistles to their construction just to make the proof go through when everyone can see what they said. <laughs> Obviously, those things are not, are not necessary. So why do they do it? You know, all this kind of stuff. So why don't we make natural constructions that are just secure because they are so beautiful that they must be secure? I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but but uh, something, mm-hmm. stuff like this is what we were hearing from, from some people at the time. And so I, I, I thought that uh, me and other people tried to sort of make reasonable responses to this and, and trying to argue that, that um, you know, first of all, those things that we put into argue, that we put into our constructions seemingly to make the proof go through. Um, I mean, the fact is that we don't know what attacks would be there if those things were not there. Uh, so, you know, um, it's it's just not an option to to um, uh, to have a simpler construction with no proof because history tells us that if you do this, then most likely you have overlooked something. And it turns out that there was an attack after all. Um, you know, so it, it was that kind of of, um, of arguments that that uh, you know some of us were also trying to make that with the history that 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 failed constructions having cryptography, uh, you know, um, it doesn't really matter so much if if the if the security reduction you have is not very efficient, because what it also does is that it makes sure that there is no stupid mistakes in your construction, because. If if an adversary breaking your construction reduces to he must have a factoring algorithm, uh, if he mm-hmm. does this, then that means that there is no um, there's no basic design error that makes it possible for the adversary to completely sidestep the factoring problem and just do something completely different. Um, and th- that's the kind of mistake we often see in, in, in constructions that fail. Um, so that's also you know a value that we in, in having proofs that we were trying to point out. Over the years, there are now more and more constructions that are coming up, right? There's many conferences, you know, crypto has over 50 papers, zero crypt, and so on and so forth. Do you think there is enough, um, you know, error checking that people do on the constructions that they come out? Because the proofs are becoming longer and longer, right? Any paper you look at is 50, 60 pages, and I don't know how many eyes are actually um, looking at it afterwards to try to understand what are the problems, what are the mistakes. It could take months for some of these papers. Um, yeah, I mean that that is completely true, and 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 that that is a problem uh, that comes from from this tremendous growth of the field that we've seen, um, because uh, there is simply not enough man hours out there to to properly check every proof that gets published, um, and so so that that's of course is a problem, but I would I would maintain that that is not the same issue as as discussing whether proofs should be there or not. Uh, right. That's a different question. Um, I think they should. Uh, we cannot prove everything. Like we, we, we cannot prove factoring is hard. We cannot prove that there are one-way functions, but, but we should try to reduce our assumptions as much as we can. Quick follow-up question on that. Um, how are the practitioners or somebody who is trying to, let's say, implement a crypto schema supposed to 
kind of go through all these papers and digest them and understand uh, what is the schema that they should choose from and who should that even be, right? Because cryptographers certainly you know, write papers and move on maybe to the next topic. Um, somebody from the practitioner side would have to spend many months potentially just digesting that to understand mm-hmm. what is the starting construction they can pick. Um, how do you how do you think um, that should be addressed? I think the only way out of this is 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 collaboration between the different people from from different sides. It's simply not feasible, as you say, to have someone from the practical side uh, work his way through a whole bunch of, of papers, choose the right construction, and then implement the thing. Uh, this this will lead to uh, wrong choice, implementation errors, what have you, all kinds of, of stuff that should not be there. Um, uh, so so it's simply going to have to be the case that that cryptographers who write these papers is going to have to 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 do some work in in trying to to get that so work with the practitioners and understand what is actually the problem that the practitioners are trying to solve and help them find the right scheme for their problem and 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 then once that's been found actually explain or present that scheme in a form that's digestible to a practitioner, but I think it, it's also important that this is not a one-way process. It's 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 a dialogue, right? It, it requires uh, first of all from the practical side to the to the um, to the theory side, uh, what is actually the problem we have? What 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 are the demands we, we we are trying to meet here? And then there will be a catalog of solution coming back, and then you 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 find the right solution in the dialogue, and then you 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 finally uh, you know uh, design. And explanation which is detailed enough to actually go and implement the thing. I think that's that's uh, it takes a whole lot of effort from both sides, but that's the only way out of this. I think. Even you were talking at the beginning about the old days, as uh, Sergey called them, and about how exciting it was and all the interesting problems uh, and all the exciting problems that there were to to work on. Do you feel that for somebody now joining the field, there is still this amazing um, ground to do exciting work? Well, I, I have heard young people, um, like um, I heard uh, a couple of years back, uh, Nia Bitansky, who was a, quite, well, quite a well-known figure in, in, in the field now, talking about when, 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 he, was, when he was just studying and, and studying crypto for, for the first time, he, he, he saw similar knowledge proofs. And he's talking about being totally fascinated by this. This is the most cool thing in the world. I want to understand this. I want to do something with this. I mean, that, that, was, that was what he said. So, so I, I do think it is the case that, that, that young people still come into this field and, and, and find that this is the most interesting thing in the world. Thanks for joining and spending the time with us. Tal, thanks for joining as well. This was a thanks. great episode. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you, Ethan. Okay, thank you.